millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Falcha and welcome back to the Talking Blarney podcast, where we wade through the Blarney to tell you about the real Ireland. My name is Stuart McNamara, and I'm here with my IRA co-host, Rob Cross. Steve, that is a spurious accusation you've made against me now. I, I resent that entirely. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> hey guys. Rob here. Um, I, I am not in, involved in, in the arm struggle. I, I just want to be very clear about that. I support entirely peaceful means to <laughs> the, 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 the reunification of this island, if that is what the majority of people on both sides wish, you know. There's enough going on at the moment with the whole Brexit and the border issues here to, you know, so anyway. Oh, keep them occupied anyway. So how are you doing, Rob? Keep them occupied. Yeah, good choice of words when it comes to Northern Ireland, isn't it, Stu? <laughs> anyway. It is, it is. I heard you had a, a recent loss in the in the family there. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, a terrible shame to hear. It's terrible, Stu. I went, no tea in the whole house. I went down to breakfast this morning and the kettle broke. I don't know if it was the fuse now or whatever, but we couldn't make a cup of tea properly. Now, we, we tried boiling the water. It didn't really work. So I had to go across and get a coffee from the shop. And I haven't had coffee in about three months, so we'll we'll, we'll see We'll see how it goes. I'm a bit worried. My, my tummy grumbled a bit there, Stu. I'm concerned. <laughs> if, I, if you lose me halfway through the podcast. <laughs> the, the main thing is that you're getting an emergency kettle delivered over soon. We are. So you'll yep. be able to have your tea again. I mean, Stu, if I didn't have my seven or six or seven cups of tea in a day, I don't know what I'd do. I'm not, exa- I'm not exaggerating, by the way. I do well, drink that you'll much have tea. Soon. <laughs> We'll, we'll see how it affects the podcast. Yeah. So we'll jump right into Uniquely Irish, which since we're in the middle of Lent, I found a little bit of an article on what Lent was like in the past. Obviously, we're yeah. a lot less of a Catholic country at the minute, but uh, some of the strict guidelines. But uh, what do you remember about Lent from when you were a gay drop? Well, I mean, I think it's fair to say like, I went to a Catholic primary school, state run, like, but it was Catholic. I know you went to a non-denominational one, Stu, so you might have a slightly different perspective on this. You know, like we couldn't all go to that school, Stu, because the waiting list was too goddamn long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a small school. It was, it was. But also my school I think was I only got in because my cousin was going there. Yeah, well, I mean, my school is like just up the road for me. Technically another parish, though, which is weird because you've seen how close it is to my house. And it's Ooh. like, it's it's in another parish. So technically, I was, anyway, there's a different story those damn catholics gerrymandering yes i mean we we you know we everything we kind of did was very catholic in in terms of like doing the prayers and preparing for it so of course before we enter lent we have um one of the best days of the year so pancake tuesday oh shrove tuesday but it's kind of like the big party before you have to start fasting for lent so you know you'd you'd have you basically have pancakes for for dinner pancakes for breakfast whatever you want we, we'd get them in yeah the basic idea was to use up all of the things that you wouldn't be using over lent itself so your eggs your milk and your your butter yeah. or flour and that you're not gonna have any sweet things during lent because it's you generally give up something so that was kind of the way it is and then the day after that is, of course, um, Ash Wednesday, which is um, the start of Lent. Oh, yeah. And you can tell everyone who uh, who has gone to 
the, the church that day because they have the lovely little cross on their forehead. Yeah, so basically the, the you, on Ash Wednesday, it's it's mostly a Catholic thing. The priest would come in, you get blessed with ashes generally in the shape of a cross on your forehead. Uh, the ashes are actually uh, palms from Palm Sunday the year before. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter Sunday in Christianity. Jesus was greeted with people waving palms coming into... Um, Jerusalem I believe and so they burn those palms into an ash and, and then they put I think in the cat they put a bit of holy water and oil into it to kind of make it a bit more cohesive and then they'll rub it on your forehead. Yeah well, they bless it and stuff. Yeah it was always very cold is what I remember it being. Yeah so after Ash Wednesday you start so we were, you're supposed to generally fast because it didn't last for 40 days. We didn't really fast too much during the day I think that's kind of gone out of favor but the main thing was you, you give up something so generally it would always be like, we'll give up chocolate and, yeah. you know, but then you'd say, well, when I say give up chocolate, I meant like white chocolate. I won't have any milky bars, but I, I can still have like, you know, a, a Cadbury's dairy milk or something like that. So <laughs> it was things like, you know, like growing up generally, I, you know, like some people would generally give up smoking or things like that. Yeah, like I, I kind of I have vague memories of it from my school. Obviously, like we weren't a religious school, but I think we kind of did it anyway, just as like a, a fun project for for the 40 days that yeah. it was. And yeah, you'd give up chocolate, but like. As a kid, it was kind of a fun thing where it's like, okay, I'll give up chocolate now, but I'm getting like 20 Easter eggs at the end of it anyway. That's it. So yeah. then I'm just going to eat 40 days worth of chocolate in one Which go. Which is what we did. So the, the other thing I suppose about Lent specifically in Ireland, we had our troker boxes. Oh, so yeah. I, I, we might have mentioned this before. It's hard to keep track sometimes, but uh, Troker is an Irish charity. They basically send money and supplies to, to uh, people in Africa. Basically, we, we, we'd get, you get a troker box in school and it's, yeah, it's like this cardboard thing you put together and have pictures of you know smiling African children who were delighted to receive your money. You'd you'd bring it home. You'd put it on like the hall table or somewhere prominent in the house, and you you know they'd you'd put a bit of, a few cents or pence into it during the day, and then. Um, at the end of Easter, you uh, sorry, at the end of Lent, you'd go into school with your troker boxes each and you'd put all the money in a big bag and it'd be sent off to buy like, um, I think they generally did like animals, infrastructure for villages in Africa, wells mostly. Um, yeah, I, I think I think I, I have memories of later on it becoming a thing where like the school picked what they sent out. So you'd like raise the money, be like, OK, we have enough. It's like 90 euro for a goat. It's 150 for a yeah. cow. And you'd kind of. I, you'd be able to pick it and obviously you'd get the, the usual kind of I think I might be wrong in, photos yeah. back of happy people with their I animals. I might be wrong in saying this. I'm not sure if Troker did the animals. I think that might have been another charity whose name I forget. No, I'm like I'm not certain here, but it was something along those lines anyways. Yeah, so we'll go through the kind of the older version of Lent, which was a little more strict. So this is from some articles that were written in around 1859 to 1870. Yep. And it's kind of the, the regulations that were dictated by the Archbishop of Dublin and primate of Ireland at the time, which are, uh, let's just say, a little more strict than just giving up chocolate for 40 days. So persons bound to fast are allowed to take only one full meal of meagre fare. Uh, and you were also allowed like a small snack if you, mm -hmm. but you had to remain hungry yep. all day is the thing. So like, that's insane like being just constantly hungry for 40 days let's suppose like it, it's, it's just to kind of symbolize jesus being in the desert and fasting for 40 days and being tempted by satan as in like the temptation here is to eat something give in to you know your temptations but it's kind of like you have to suffer a little bit like christ did um i think it comes from like oh yeah fasting like is quite prevalent in, in a lot of jewish holidays and things as well yeah and it's like you know meager fare i think the only thing I could think of when, when I read that is similar to, you know, the pilgrimage to Crow Patrick, where it's like, oh, you can have like unbuttered toasts yeah. and 
black tea and stuff like that where you just you can't have any additives it's just like the the plain yeah. thing would be the kind of meager fairy of eating so then we get on to we grant permission to use flesh meat in lent at one principal meal only on sundays mondays tuesdays thursdays and saturdays so wednesday and friday meat was a no-go yeah. Like I know some more stricter Catholics wouldn't eat meat at all during Lent. They they would just do a complete black fast of you know they like fish is fine of course and I think in some South American countries you're allowed to eat like otters and stuff because they live in the water. I don't know, but like yeah. they would they you know they wouldn't eat meat during Lent at all. Yeah, I mean, isn't it still a thing here that some some people do still follow that you're not supposed to eat meat on Friday at all? That's kind of le- like certainly. My parents have said that they didn't. I mean, it's actually something you, you kind of see in America. Um, I don't know if you know this story, Stu. It's the reason why they launched the filet of fish in McDonald's because they they noticed that their sales in New York were went way down on a Friday, and like same like Chicago as well and Boston, and they couldn't work it out. It's like why why are they dropping so much on Friday? And they looked at the areas and eventually said, well, they're mostly Catholic cities. I mean, they can't eat meat on Fridays. So then McDonald's thought, what if we sell some? What can they eat? And they were uh-huh. like, well, they eat fish. What if we make a fish burger? There's your fillet of fish. Well, thanks to uh, Rob Cross, our resident McDonald's investigator. I worked there for six. <laughs> I worked there for six and a half years. You, you pick up a few tricks. <laughs> I'm sure you do. But what's in the burger sauce, Rob? That's what we want to know. Uh, the Big Mac one. Oh well, it, it's it's a secret. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a secret, but I know what it is. It's 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 ketchup, secret mustard. ketchup and mayo. It's yeah. ketchup mayo with a bit of mustard. There are bits of dill pickles, and effectively, what would be like Worcestershire sauce or something, and give it like a little bit of a kick. We got a pink sauce in Ireland the next one is uh, something that we just can't abide by in current Ireland anyway and I know myself and you Rob we both hate this one but drunkenness a vice degrading in itself and the occasion of innumerable evils the reading of lascivious poetry and romances immodest representation in degraded theatres improper dances so repugnant to the purity of the Christian morals are to be avoided not only during Lent but at all times and there's a little caveat underneath that says the polka was singled out as particularly offensive. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the you, you put your you put your left leg in and you shake it all about, you know. Then the right one goes in. It's oh, it's, can't you know, be doing there'd that. Be, there'd be war in the dance floor, dude. The priest wouldn't know what to look at. Yeah, it's just like that's a that's a lot of stuff for one little part of it. Drunkenness, poetry any movies or whatever that have in the theaters you know if i if i want to go out drinking and and reciting um you know lowered po- the works of dylan thomas or something you know i will still you know? <laughs> i think the main takeaway there is that ireland in the 1850s and 70s was basically footloose well we were recovering from a massive famine at the time where we lost half of our population <laughs> so i'm willing to give them a little bit of a break Stu. they weren't having a fun time i mean if you spoke your own language you got arrested you couldn't practice. Well, okay, at that point, you could practice Catholicism from 1871 onwards, but it still was a bit messed up. Yeah. But then anyway. we have eggs are prohibited on all Fridays and the yeah. first and last Wednesdays in Lent. Yeah. So uh, another thing, yeah, especially, for, you know, a once famine riddled country is like, no, you can't eat one of the easiest foods to get on any Friday like, or the first and last Wednesday. Uh, the kind of dietary rules around like a black fast are occasionally a bit complicated. Like the, the kind of default rule we were thought was that like, I knew like no eggs, no meat, like fish was fine. So it's basically you're, you were allowed to eat fish and vegetables and like milk was okay too but that was kind of it um you know it, it, it's like like, said, like in like some parts of south america you're allowed to eat like otters and beavers i think i i, I there's a specific one in south america that's quite common the church like all right it, li- it mostly lives in the water we'll classify it as a fish you're allowed to eat it <laughs> you know so like i i don't know some of it goes back to like the kosher laws from judaism 
the the next one just kind of gave me a bit of a giggle. So, uh, fish and flesh meat cannot be used in the same meal on any day during Lent. And my first thought is, this is 19th century Ireland. We're not having a fucking surf and turf every day. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. They'd be glad to get one meat or one fish let alone fucking having both in one meal. I suppose like it's because if, if you kind of think about it, Sue, if you weren't living, like we're an island, of course, there's plenty of water around us. But if you weren't like on the coast or there wasn't a large river near you, like the Shannon where there's plenty of salmon, you weren't exactly getting fish in the Midlands. It wouldn't, there's no way it would stay fresh to, to get to you. Like it wouldn't get you within a day. So that yeah, probably wasn't I, even an I option. I think I had read before about the um, the famine, like, one of the obvious things like, oh, we're on, a, we're on an island. Why couldn't we have just fished and gotten a load of fish for everyone to eat? But isn't it that people over the winter pawned their fishing equipment yeah, because right. the, f- the food was so scarce when you can't really be going out fishing, it, hoping it, that the next crop would have uh, earned them enough money to buy it back. But it didn't. And so that was kind of part of the reason that people starved even more yeah. because they didn't have any material to fish with. No, that's true, Stu. And it it it, um, it was kind of a seasonal thing where they didn't need it. They'd over the winter you can't really fish, so and then they weren't able to yeah, get so them you back. Pawn it. And kind of reminding as well, the a lot of like British lords and things owned a lot of the country, so quite often, oh, that's not your river, that's the Lord's River. If you if you try and fish from it, you're stealing yeah. from him, and we'll send you to Australia uh, or I don't know. Hang I mean, like it's kind of terrible, but you know, if I was in that position, it's like, well, we'll send you to Australia. It's like, is there food in Australia? Oh, yes, but you won't like it. Right? Okay. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Kangaroo steak for days. But uh, yeah. the, the last one then I'll read out because there's a, a good bit in the article. But uh, this one you were talking about milk. Actually, it, it says here that children o- older than seven were not allowed milk okay. during Lent. And then younger children had only a little and babies were to cry three times before they received any milk on fast days, oh, which is ludicrous. I mean, that's a terrible idea. Just, you know, that, that, that's got to scare the children for life. Like you have to cry three times before you get any milk. Yeah, I, cause, like, I get like they're, you know, they're, they would be baptized and stuff like that, but they're they're under the age of reason in, in, in the Catholic yeah. Church. Like, you know, you, you can't, if you can't make your first confession or receive communion until you you're at the age reason as in you can comprehend that this isn't just bread it's the body of christ for example so they said it is it was at five they put it to seven that's why we did our you know first communions when we were seven or thereabouts because we could we were able to learn it and comprehend it so you know the baby that isn't going to understand so give him the milk i mean i'm pretty sure it's fine from a theological standpoint not an expert here (laughs) yeah it's just a weird one to be like causing suffering to babies who are just trying to survive the catholic church harming children in this country is too well there's a first time for everything <laughs> fair enough fair enough uh but i think we'll leave that there now uh the old the only other ones are about like how to get dispensation if you have like you know you're too young or infirmed yeah. or old or have a strenuous job stuff like that you get an indulgence for that and then being good i think yeah i think the other one was the you had to pray for the pope at the time because he was trapped in rome or something yeah it, it, it's um so you, you might know this too because you were tour guide in rome i don't know but in uh, 1871 was the reunification well the unification of italy so there were like a bunch of different kingdoms and parts of italy and then the king of sardinia i think it was victor emmanuel the first or second i can't i think the first and he was like can i be king of the whole country and he's like yeah sure why not and then they kind of took over the the parts of northern italy what were nominally under french control the kingdom of the two sicilies down south and then 
there were also the papal states in the middle. So the Pope like had you know, a good chunk of the middle of Italy around Rome, and he he, he wasn't just a religious leader; he was also a you know kind of a leader of that. And they sort of took it all over and were like, "Look, we're Catholic and all that, but we're not gonna you know it should be our country." So the Pope was actually the prisoner in the Vatican from then until Mussolini. So the Pope was effectively the prisoner there; they couldn't really leave, and there were quite a lot of tensions between Italy and the Catholic Church at the time. The Pope did this i can't remember what the order was called it was something in latin but he basically says you cannot be a good catholic and vote in italian elections for like their parliament so <laughs> so it, it it did affect turnout and things like that so but in, in the end it worked out thanks to mussolini which is yeah, <laughs> it's anyway. the first and only time anyone's ever said that but now we will jump onto the movie i yep. think which this week is going to be the crying yep. game and the first thing we have to say is that we are going to be as careful as possible with this review. Yeah. It delves into a lot of trans issues that we are not experts no. on. Look, I think it's it's fair to say that, um, you know, consider this maybe a content warning or anything like that. We're, we're going to be discussing yeah. one of the characters in this film who, who, who is... Uh, uh, being portrayed as a trans woman and there are ish- instances of transphobia and homophobia additionally other race races and other parts of the film so look if that's something that might you know upset you maybe give this one a skip but we're gonna try and come at this from you know the best good faith angle we can i've done a fair bit of research on this i have some articles that i've read which i I will quote from written from by trans people on their view of this film and also from a general queer perspective as well so we will be using that as for context as well but I will say that, you know, myself and Steve will talk about this from an Irish perspective as we do in this podcast. But we do have other perspectives in this from people who, you know, have the lived experience and would be better qualified to speak on this. Um, I will, I, I suppose I will broadly say, I, I think Stu will agree that our view would be trans rights or human rights. We're very much in favour of that. Definitely. If, um, <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, if you want to find out more about trans rights in Ireland, we're not the right people to maybe talk about that. I'm going to recommend another Irish podcast that I've mentioned before called uh, What Am Politics, which talks about like politics, not just an Irish sense, but a global sense, but it's two Irish lads doing it. They did an, ish- an episode called What Am Trans Rights starring uh, Noah Halpin from um, Tenny, which is the Trans Equality Network Ireland. I said this you might put that in the show notes here because I think if you want an overview of what it's like in Ireland to be trans and you know everything that takes part of it that's the best place to go so I would recommend you to listen to that uh, Tenny are a fantastic organization they've helped out a lot of people so look that's that's what I'll say there we're, we're going to do the best we can here if we say the wrong thing we do apologize but we're we're trying to do this as sensitively and carefully as possible the main thing we're going to try to do is Dill is the char- character's name is a trans woman and so yep. we are going to call her she, but then you have Jay Davidson, who plays Dill, is actually a, a gay man. So we like we'll try to make that as, that distinction when we're talking about Dill the character, she, but Day- Davidson himself, he. Yeah. And please, please forgive us if we screw up. We're doing our absolute best here. Yeah. So we'll get into the movie. First off, what a movie! I mean, I was glued to it. It was an, another one of those movies where. At times, I forgot to take notes yeah. because I was just glued to the screen. See, I love this film. I, I mean, I, I'll say it now. This was really, really good. I'm going to make a comparison now to one of my favorite films of all time, Full Metal Jacket, the, the Stanley Kubrick film about the Vietnam War, because it has something exactly like that film in terms of the structure in that the first half of the film 
if you will, is kind of its own story, as is the second half. There, there's like, you know, there's plot threads that continue from one to the other in terms of like Stephen Rees' characters, um, Fergus slash Jimmy's whole development there. But I, I contrasted very favorably to Full Metal Jacket in the sense, that, you know, at the start of that film is they're, they're in the training camp in the Marines and, you know, you have the gunnery Sergeant Hartman there and everything else that happens. Then they go to Vietnam and there's like the loose thread of the two guys meeting each other. It's a kind of a very similar sense to that. Like this, what happens in Northern Ireland with, um, you know, Fergus, the IRA and uh, Jody, the, the soldier, uh, contrast very much with his experiences in London with Dale and everyone else. So I really like that. I mean, even if it was like two separate films, I think it would be just as good. And it, it's a brave directorial and written choice to do that kind of thing. But Neil Jordan wrote this film and directed it the same as, Michael Collins but we'll get to that and um, I really 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 yeah I mean like the thing is as you said Neil Jordan uh, wrote and directed it and you can kind of see he's from Sligo Uh, born in 1950 so like he he knows this yeah. like you know he he's around the area where shit like that was happening all of the yeah. time it's uh it's clearly something that he has at least witnessed or seen in the news from a young age and he kind of he, he puts a lot of his own feelings on yeah. it into the movie Um, I mean Let's say Forrest Whitaker, who plays Jody in it, not the best English accent. Well, he, he's American, uh, but you know. <laughs> isn't he? No, he well, is yeah, American. But you know, he, he, I thought you said you meant he was American in the film, which confused me. But yeah, no, he, he he's playing a British person who's in the army who came over here to fight the IRA and everything else. But just like you can see the kind of the the way Whitaker thinks of Irish people, like it's in our nature to be, you know, the scorpion in the scorpion and yeah. the frog story. And it's just everything he says, he kind of he just assumes that Irish people are just these violent animals that he's there to to stop from yeah, but, hurting but anyone else. at the else. same time, he's, you can sympathise with him because like, he was effectively, we'll talk about the plot in a moment, I suppose, but yeah, honey trapped into kind of being kidnapped by the IRA and you kind yeah. of, you can sympathise like, oh, he didn't mean to get into this and he talks like, he's a fantastic actor. Like, I, he's a great actor and he does, like, even the bits where you don't see, you see his mouth, he's so expressive with that. Like, you know, the bit where the bag is kind of half off his head and he's talking to Fergus about Dylan, like, take the picture out of my wallet. You know, it's like, he's so expressive yeah. even if you can only see that. It, 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 it's all like the tone of his voice and like how he licks his lips nervously and the sweat on his, like, chin. Yeah, definitely. Jesus, I mean, like, job. obviously, the spoiler there is that he he's only in, say, the, the, the first act of the movie. We'll but that. for what he's in it, like, you, you already love him yeah. in it. Like, you know, he, he plays a really nice character. It's kind of almost an enemy mind situation where, you know, uh, Jody and Fergus, who's played by Stephen Ray, kind of get to know each other and yeah. they basically become almost friends, even though they're on the, the opposite sides of this terrible it's conflict. Just, you know, I, I guess I, I don't think I'd call it Stockholm Syndrome. They just seem to kind of... It, I think it's different from Stockholm Syndrome because they, you know, in the same with any war, there's nothing really between them except their life experiences yeah. and where they were born I think so it's, it's not so much relating it's just that they're just two people who want to you know love and live and uh, be happy but they're thrown into this conflict it's kind of because of you know government soldiers i mean it's it, the point is like the ira like go oh, look we're not gonna they don't miss they don't mistreat him like that's the thing like they actually don't like they give him tea and eat cadbury's and you know they do threaten like to shut up and things like that but they're they treat him reasonably well i mean they are treating it seems like we're treating you like a yeah, soldier look we will if we don't get our guy back we will shoot you but like they don't lay a hand on them basically and it, it's it, it's it's kind of interesting to see that in a sense like it's like this film was came out in 1992 this was a very controversial topic in the uk at the time it bombed in the uk to pardon if you'll pardon the pun at the box office because of 
you know, there were still bombings going on in pubs at the time in the UK, like the, you know, a lot of the people like in the Birmingham Six, the Guildford Four, who were Irish people that are just, you know, arrested for the crime of being Irish uh, in a place where there was an IRA bombing. Yeah. We're only starting to be released now, and it'd be '94 before the IRA had their first big ceasefire, and really the peace process was getting off the ground in Northern Ireland. So it was a very, con- very difficult time to re- to release a film that even portrayed the IRA with a bit of sympathy. Like this did a lot better in America, where that wasn't as much of a um, you know divisive topic, and they could kind of see it, a not bit of not even that it was it. it wasn't divisive. I think as well, like it wasn't known. The That's people in America point, yeah. wouldn't have really understood what was actually happening in Northern Ireland and in the UK at the time. So this kind of beyond maybe you know if someone was particularly into the news, uh, they wouldn't have known that any of this was happening. Yeah. And I, I think that's it, but it, it, we'll talk about it a bit later, the, the different ways it was marketed in the UK versus America and how, you know, in America, it was more of kind of a love story with the IRA as a framing device, where in the UK, it was more like, oh, it's a film about the rat that has like a love yeah, subplot. But, uh, to, to get into just the cast itself, I mean, amazing, oh, amazing yeah. cast. Forrest Whitaker, Miranda Richardson, Stephen Ray, obviously, Adrian Dunbar, Jay Davidson, who uh, it was very hard for me to, to separate him from Ra. In I've gone from the Ra to Ra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then, of course, the wonderful Jim Broadbent and uh, Ralph and Brown Tony as Sattery well. As well, he plays like the who I'm a big fan of. Yeah, um, you know, I because I said to Stu before he started, like, like I'm a big fan of. He's the very kind of posh guy in the three piece suit who's giving out to Stephen uh, to Fergus's character. And they're calling him Paddy and all that. And I guess from Tony Slattery, he's, you know, both his parents are uh, Irish Catholics that moved over to like Manchester. He, he comes off very British upper class, but he's, you know, from a working class uh, Irish background in, in Manchester. And I think it's the, that fact that makes him play the role even better because he knows, because it's like he even said, that's what people used to call me growing up. And he kind of knows it. I, I just think that works really, really well. Um, big big fan of it. Yeah, putting lived experience yeah. into it. Uh, as well, Stu. I mean, there's Miranda Richardson as well, who's a fantastic actress. I've, oh, I yeah. think she, I, she does a wonderful job. In this. She's been in a load of fantastic things as well. I remember her most from Blackadder, where she played uh, Queen Elizabeth in um, Blackadder. That's Black, that's Blackadder's too, isn't it? Yeah, and then oh, she yes. plays, uh, you know, uh, Bob the in Blackadder goes forth, where she's. You know, she's a woman fight fighting in the first world war <laughs> yeah. with Atkins and oh, that's, that's quite good uh really 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 great actress uh she, sleepy hollow as well that's the other one i was trying to think of with her in it yeah oh, yeah sure, and yeah. um of course dude there's also uh adrian dunbar playing uh mcguire who you, you you might recognize from a few bits and bobs he was one of the guys in ashes to ashes on there but he was also in the left foot as well which is my left foot which is a great film uh but you know Stu. He's kind of more famous for the role he almost got, you know, at the last minute. He he, he didn't get it. He was in some early promotional stills for this film. He was going to be a, an important enough character. He was okay. going to he was originally cast as Bail Organa in Star Wars Episode One. Yeah. Oh, shit. So he, Jimmy uh, Smith's Jimmy Smith's in choice. The end got was recast as it, but his his likeness was in some of the original publicity stuff. So he's uh he's i think he was ben, uh, bail antilles then in Ret- retcon he was one of the a, mi- a more minor character but yeah well, we do have another yeah, yeah, uh, star yeah. wars alum anyway in uh ralph brown he was in the phantom menace that's right he was um so they would have been the same film which is quite funny but yeah it's fantastic i mean jim broadband as well as Kyle. like he's he's in the he's not in the film a lot but he's very he's just a very good actor he's, he's oh just, yeah like, like the, the thing about like uh Brown. jim broadband is is like it's kind of it's a different role from what I'm used to seeing yeah. him as, but he does 
such a good job of just being the, the barman who everyone kind of loves and he, he just comes in and he's kind of deadpan in it but you can kind of see that he knows everything going yeah. on well, and at times tries to help Fergus I, like, I really like the bits where it's like he's communicating between Dill and Fergus in the bar- like in different cases yeah and it's just great. like and it's just so but like him that can kind of just add a little it's they're really really good scenes um because it's very easy to do that whole cliche oh, oh will you, like Stu will you tell John that I'm not talking to him like it's it's like a very American cliche to do it that way but the way he does it here seems so natural and so funny so it, it's great I mean I'll, I'll say as well to um um at raw who, who, who I, i'll try not to call him raw in this film as, as much as it does but uh jay davison who plays dill in this film like we said playing a, a female character but is the actor is male uh does like dude like jay davison was not an actor like he was a oh yeah like they, they found him at a, at a rap party yeah. and were like you would be perfect like they because i think niall jordan he was struggling with the the producers of the film yeah. to to allow him to have a trans character be the the, the love interest be in it, yeah. the love interest yeah and you know it was like part of that was finding someone who was kind of androgynous you could believe what they said looked, yeah. yeah you could believe looked female for the movie i don't mean you know it's as we said we'll talk about this a bit more in depth i mean uh, if you i suppose you you wouldn't know it, it maybe isn't the right oh, yeah, thing like to I, say, I, but, I would pay you know, money to go back and be a fly on the wall of a cinema it, yeah. Before anyone knew who Jay Davidson yeah. was, and just watch that one scene that we'll get to later on, yeah, but... uh, because like there obviously there are little hints about it throughout, but whether you'd actually catch it before it happens, I would be fascinated. But I think as see. well, like this is an untrained actor effectively carrying half a film, and he does a great, oh, definitely. he does a fantastic Absolutely. job. Like it's just he's so natural, and I don't know if he was actually singing at that one point in it. It was actually the actor. Uh, singing the crying game end credit um, but uh, it, it was Jesus that's great but just so natural and just so laid back and it's even like it, it, towards the end there's a the, the bit of aggression and everything else it's just really really well done and considering the, the only other film uh, uh, Jay made was Stargate which spoilers myself and Steve were big 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 Stargate fans it was one of the first things we punted over when we became friends in college um, like, <laughs> yeah. I've seen that film a bunch of times he, he plays Raw the kind of main bad guy in that a very different character but it's it, it, um you know it, it, it less like in fairness between two movies that shows oh, yeah range. i mean because it's even crazy now i was looking up a bunch of things about this film of course and i saw did you see any pictures of him recently uh jay he looks completely different too he's like covered in tattoos has a bald head yeah jesus <laughs> it's a it's a different person but it's it's crazy I, to I, see him hopefully, hopefully they now. can get get, a, get him sorted out for when they finally get around to making uh the second roland emmerich stargate film which is been in the works apparently for 20 years at this point <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure they've they're done uh, with they that keep one saying every five years we're going to but anyway this. uh yeah so i think we'll start off with just the kind of the ira bits at the start between stephen ray and forrest whitaker fergus and jody because i mean you really get the sense of both of them yeah. and the kind of the, the the situation that they're in so well um in those uh, few shorts, I, I think it's like, it's like you, you don't really get a Neil Jordan film without Stephen Ray. I mean, he was in um, Michael Collins as well as Ned Broy. I mean, we also yeah. saw him in Evelyn, 
uh, where he was the solicitor. My God, he's a great actor. <laughs> he's just, just, he's fantastic. So underrated, but he just, um, you know, he's from, he's from Belfast. He, you know, he, he's kind of using his own accent and things like that. But he's, he's just so good at this. Like, it, it, it's um, like he's relatable. He's, he's friendly when he wants to be, but he still has that kind of, um, closed kind of northern irish kind of you know kind of tough silent man aspect to him as well that you know it, oh, yeah, it really yeah. shows in london like a, too but like it's you know, it's it, it feels he's a danger real. if he wants to be but yeah. most of the time he just seems like a, a cuddly person that you could chat yeah, but, to but but then like he snaps but it's and so, it's but he's so good at doing that like it's just it just seems so natural to him like it, it's like i think it's the greatest compliment you can give it didn't feel like he was acting you know, and, and and I mean, I think that's entirely the case with him in this film. He does a an outstanding job. He was absolutely robbed at the Oscars, is is what I'll say to you. See, this did win best screenplay. I think yeah. he was nominated for best actor. He was completely robbed. This is an outstanding performance. It, I, I'd go as far as saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just fantastic. You know, because it is the. I think the budget for the movie was about two million pounds, which isn't a lot. So obviously, they're they're working in, under in constraints. Things, but yeah. what they do, like. Because you know the start of the movie is so kind of slow and methodical, and like it's not a lot. Like you know, you have the scene. I think it was actually filmed in me with the the carnival, and then they go they go straight to the IRA safe house. And one thing I love, there was like a big stack of uh, Heinz cans. Yeah. There was beans. <laughs> and there was like spaghetti hoops. And just like like a, a proper palette um, from them, which I thought was funny. Briefly but, like, about. The, the, Sorry, is going briefly about the opening scene at the, the carnival thing. Uh, firstly, uh, you can tell it's not Northern Ireland; it's the wrong type of train goes across the bridge there. That's my nitpicking perspective. But anywho, it's it's train steering <laughs> me. You know what it's like. Um, secondly, have you ever seen a helter skelter in an Irish fairground? Uh, I, I haven't. Not that I can remember now, but I wouldn't uh, be surprised. Anyone that might know a helter skelter it's where the Beatles get the song name from I'm you know it's like a kind of a it's like that large kind of circular thing that has the slide going the whole way around it it's called a helter skelter it's more of a British thing I, I've never really seen one like that in an Irish one like in Thunderland which you know fond memories there Um, so I don't know that's the only thing that really struck me maybe it was an early 90s thing that was more prevalent I, I wasn't alive at the time I don't I can't I can't speak to that <laughs> But it does, it does yeah. seem the only thing that was but a anyway, like out the, of the place. Yeah, but, yeah. but like the first act is so slow. It it spends most of his time just between Jody and Fergus Fergus in the little safe house to have. It's like a fucking conservatory or yeah. a grow house. And, it, you know, it's just them having conversations. And then once in a while, another IRA member will come in. But it's just them basically becoming friends and like just... Funny little scenes like uh, Jody's talking about uh, cricket and say, like, "Oh, cricket's you know a real man's game." You know what is it the e e Paddy's play over here? Like, oh, and it's like, "Oh, hurling's like oh Paddy's whacking sticks at each other." You know, it's like you can see already like the 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 rhetoric behind what Jody thinks of yeah. Irish people just in the in these little interactions. It is, and it's what I do. There's a couple of bits I like. It's in particular where they bring him into the house and like he's blindfolded, and then your man goes and look. You've got the British Army have one of our guys in Castlereagh prison. Um, we want him released. If we don't, we're going to shoot you in three days. He's like, look, we're a legitimate army. Uh, you know, we're going, you will be treated fairly here. And the thing is, they offer him a cup of tea. I just have my notes like it's it's Ireland, even in times of war with their enemy. If you come into our house, we'll offer you a cup of tea. Yeah, like, we'll I mean, it's, it's interesting that there was no counter perspective to that, I suppose, in what the IRA prisoner was getting treated, how how the yeah. IRA prisoner was getting treated in uh, with the, the British. But like just from what we know of it, we know that probably wasn't a good time. No, for I mean, I think as well, Stu, it's like this is 
like I'd kind of alluded to earlier, this was at a real towards the end of the troubles, thankfully, but still not a not a by no means the end at the time. And there there were a lot of recent things at the time of Guy Rage is executing um, uh, British soldiers. Um, so I, I'm not saying that they didn't take prisoners who, who were treated fairly, but some of them were just like shot in sight. And it's something we see later on in the film where the British army do turn up. They just riddle the, the place with bullets and things like that. And there was a, a huge controversy at the time about this whole shoot to kill order. The British government had apparently told like the special forces yeah. in Northern Ireland that if you suspect IRA guys are there, whether they're armed or not, you have authority to shoot them dead. Like, you know, even if they're not armed, even if they're not posing a threat to you, they're not aware you're there. There was a big incident about it in Gibraltar um, with a few people there. One of the those people's nieces is currently in the doll now, uh, Mairead Farrell, and she's, you know, t- talks about her aunt quite a lot. So very controversial thing here. Um, you know, there was a huge fiasco about it at the time with the British government and the Irish government, like basically went to the UN and says, this seems a bit war crimey to us. Maybe take yeah, a look I mean, at it. I suppose we can anyway. talk about that scene in itself now. So the IRA prisoner isn't right. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Please. Yeah. And then they give Fergus the job of shooting Jody. Yeah. And while they're walking out to where they're going, where he's going to shoot him, Jody's like, oh, you're not going to shoot me in the back. He and he runs off. Yeah. And so... Yeah, Fergus chases him. He doesn't want to shoot him in the back because, you know, he was like, oh, I'm shooting you like a man, you know, not, not like, while you're you know, running away. Do you shoot but, an unarmed and, man running away from you in the back? I mean, that's, you know, if you're a soldier like Fergus, like, is in the IRA, like, that's what it's perceived as. It's like, no, of course you wouldn't do that. That's, um, that's, a, that, that's like completely a cowardly and yeah, I think if you remember though, Rob, they conduct. do call, or he does call himself a volunteer, which yes, kind of I, I, is I another know. level of it where it's like, you know, British people join the army, whereas this is kind of your you volunteer yourself. I, I think there's well, it, it's, something it, to that. It's that what the IRA like they have, like, it's like they refer to it as like volunteer Kelly or whatever, that sort of the, the way they'd look at yeah. it. Um, you know, it, it, it's yeah. just the way. But anyway, uh, Jody, he runs into the road. And just as he runs into the road, the British are rolling up in in their tanks. In their Saracens. <laughs> Yeah. And run him over, and then they like drop down from a, a helicopter and start shooting up the the IRA safe house, killing most of the people inside. And like it's like it's they, brutal. They, uh, 
they obliterate like they're completely riddle the place full of bullets and blow it up it's like holy crap like here's my thoughts on this firstly like the, the brits killing him and things like that it's i suppose it's pretty that they're oh they're so incompetent this would happen this kind of thing did happen in terms of them killing a friendly fire i don't think i don't think it was incompetence i think yeah. uh, obviously we have to try to get into the mind of uh, neil jordan for this but i think it's more that you know how how violent and how you know we're stopping at oh, no, nothing to kill yeah. the these Irish people who are in the, the yeah, but I, the army. I think at the same side, it's like they're trying to get one of their own soldiers back, and like if he was still in there, you'd have yeah, just shredded yeah, they don't the care soldiers, really, you know. So yeah, because I mean, I was like, like, is it kind? Is there like a, more of a racism thing he's pushing here? Because obviously, Jody is black, and it, racism is addressed in this film. Like Jody goes at one point to Fergus early on. He's like, they sent me to the one place in the world where they'll call you the N word to your face, and he talks about like the children. Belfast where he patrols coming up to him and just saying the n-word to him and I'm like yeah look I'm not going to say racism doesn't exist in Ireland at the time or whatever because look I'm white Stu's white it's it's not something we can speak to certainly from what you know people of colour who grew up in Ireland at the time and have said it seems like racism is there as it is in a lot of places but um you know i it, it does deal with racism there and i mean i always kind of wondered is it that's why they run him down is, is there kind of a subtle implication of that or is it just in their aggression they just don't see him there or something like that because I, you know I, I don't want to kind of make the point where look you're looking for jody here like he's the only black man there if you see, no, him, if you see, see him running out see, you know that's no him? <laughs> I, I think and you know forgive me if I'm wrong but it's yeah. more that they don't really care about getting Jody back That that's partly why they didn't yeah. release the IRA well, they, but, uh, person well, they but at anyway. the same time it's like it, yeah but it, it, it's about killing more of the IRA they found where they were whether Jody's alive or not we're killing everyone in there and so it's kind of how expendable yeah. the, the average British soldier was at the time I do I do take that and I do agree with you that they were here this is an operation of vengeance of oh, the IRA how dare you threaten us with that we're going to wipe these paddies out but at the same time I I, I, I think there's a little implication there because race is brought into it that would they have done the same thing if it was a white soldier like a white officer oh yeah you know, like there may that, definitely that, have been that's the point I was getting at if it was a white soldier see, that's the point I'm getting at that I think it's it's like they did what they did because there's like a subtle implication that it is because of his race and you know because he, he talks about his father coming from the West Indies I think and who got him into cricket cricket's very popular there and talking about that and this whole thing like him talking about cricket and it's a recurring theme you see later uh, Fergus has the images of him like bowling in cricket and sees cricket and things like that um if I can just briefly say to you about cricket, if, if you don't mind, cricket is actually more cross community in Northern Ireland than people expect. There, there's a lot of nationalist people in, in Northern Ireland that actually do like cricket. Look, I mean, it, it, it's a big thing. I mean, I, I think we'll both remember the days back in college when uh, they'd, they'd have them playing in uh, in the UL yeah. field. Uh, when I worked at our university. in McDonald's, I worked with a lot of Indian and Pakistani lads, and they they love cricket. And I remember one point, he goes, "Oh, Robbie, Ireland, they're doing really well here. Like they had they had it on their phones down the back." And he's like, "Just see, you're you're winning there by this many runs." I'm like, "I don't know what that means, but like we're winning. Yeah, who are we beating? England." It's like excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter what sport it is, as long as we're because oh, it's just like it was just a bunch of us Irish people didn't have any idea about cricket, like a bunch of these lads, and we were all, we were all like saying, "Ah, oh, we're beating England. This is great." Like we we're all coming together, being like, "Yeah, let's." <laughs> no idea what was going on just like is that a good thing yeah, yeah. yeah. 
take that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think we'll jump ahead a bit to the surprise reveal. So Fergus, played by Stephen Ray, he runs off to England because Jody asks him to look in on, yep. on Dill, which he does. And over, over time, they kind of grow feelings for each other. And then at one point, they're in Dill's apartment and... Yep. She takes off her clothes and it, it, it kind of and, it, it pans down from yeah. like her upper torso. And it's like, I, I mean, I wasn't exactly expecting to see it. You, but, uh, <laughs> you see. We saw it and it yeah. was, I was, I was a bit surprised. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the full frontal nudity, but you see, and then Fergus is, doesn't react the best to this. He didn't know Dill was a trans woman and hits her and gets into the toilet and then is getting violently sick and it's like a scene where like he's in there puking his guts up and Dill is just outside just saying I thought you knew I, I, I like you know, quite obviously quite shocked um yeah so it's a it's a it's quite a heavy heavy scene yeah and once um, again like for, for 1992 I mean that would have been shocking I mean especially showing that in Ireland yeah. uh in a country that would never no. have even thought um, about trans people in any way and then if you went into it thinking that dill was a woman yeah and then seeing that i can imagine and and like it's terrible to think but i do imagine there was a percentage of people who probably walked out of the film at that point i hope not yeah I think but it's a, it's a very Ireland at the time wouldn't have it's appreciated a very different it. this is before i know you were born 92 i was born 93 so it's <laughs> before her time maybe but like i can say from my own experiences growing up that I, you know in, in terms of like awareness about trans issues i'd say sorry my sister's outside oh. let her in if you don't <laughs> go ahead rob the squeaky door Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> no, we've had our brief intermission. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it was a, a surprising scene. And, you know, I think they played it well. I mean, obviously, you're going to be surprised if you had no idea. I mean, there were hints throughout. I mean, they go to the Metro Bar. And I think in the background, you can see other trans people well, I think, in there. I think it's- I don't know if it's designed to kind of be a gay bar or it's kind of like more of an alternate kind of bar because... There's definitely some lads yeah. holding hands in the background that you see in there. So it's kind of heavily implied, but there's definitely like, you know, heterosexual couples in there as well, kind of with the, you know, mohawks and colored hair. So it's kind of like, I got the impression it's more kind of like an alternate venue where it's like you, you can, you know, it's not strictly a gay bar, but it's... Yeah, you could be open. yourself, yeah, exactly. no matter who you are. But, uh, know, but there, um, there was that one moment as well where Jim Broadbent's character, Call, does kind of try to say something to Fergus like we don't find out what it was but we can assume that he was kind of trying to clue him in on something that he clearly didn't understand yeah which I suppose at the same time you could say yeah I think you could say as well that because Fergus is from Ireland a country that was deeply Christian at the time you he mightn't have even encountered that in any way and so wouldn't have even thought of it I think it's I, I can speak to myself growing up in 90s 2000s that it really trans issues weren't something that i was really aware of it just wasn't something that really came up and you know i I suppose and it's you'd see it on like television but it was never really i suppose a positive portrayal or things like that it was always like in some things it was always like oh oh you lied to me you're not a woman that that unfortunate type of trope in kind of yeah laugh as, as comedy which is you know not something that's aged particularly well it's quite harmful i would say but 
really it was when I got to college is when I kind of learned about these things and actually you know, made several friends who, you know, were, were trans and got to see it kind of under, understand things better from like firsthand perspective. So I, I, I think like in the early 90s in Northern Ireland, they were more concerned, like Fergus Harris is more concerned with fighting the British army, you know, in, in yeah, the IRA yeah. and things like that. So I think I'm not saying that there were trans people in Northern Ireland. Of course there were, but... I I, I I suppose it wouldn't have been something he would have encountered firsthand. Um, I, I think it would have been, and I don't want to use the word hidden, but that seems to be the only one that comes to mind. Just like if there, you know, there were trans people in Ireland at the time, of course there were, but I think that they would have probably been more yeah. secretive about it. They wouldn't have wanted to be openly that way because the, the backlash unfortunately would have been immense well you see the thing about it is is that in we said this before like in in the south in our country the public uh, it was homosexuality was still illegal in 1992 yeah exactly like the, 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 like no one got arrested for it anymore but there was there was like a court case about it in, in the european uh, courts but yeah you could still get technically get investigated by the guards and like there there was quite um a severe homophobic attack in dublin in the late 80s not too long before this happened where a gay man was beaten to death in a park in North Dublin. Um, I can't remember your man's name, but even in the North, which is another jurisdiction, of course, some people in the film mightn't agree with that. But um, you, know, you had Section 28, which was brought in by Margaret Thatcher, which was a controversial piece of legislation, which basically said any local authority in, in the UK can't promote um, kind of homosexuality or anything like that as normal. So it was based like, you know, they'll, yeah. their funding would get revoked if you had like something with like, oh, this girl has two fathers, for example, that you, you basically can't explain to children that. And this, this is running like in the late eighties and it didn't get repealed until like the early 2000s. So it's, it's, um you know, it was quite controversial at the time. I know Ian McKellen, the actor came out as gay in protest against it and was just like, you disgust me. This is disgraceful behavior. Um, How can you, how can you stand by this? You know? So like, it, it was just a very prevalent attitude at the time. Like you, I suppose the information wasn't really there. It was behind closed doors, even in Northern Ireland and down here in the South. So, it, you know, it, it's hard to kind of say it, but I'd advise people to read testimonies and things like that from people who did experiences at the time, because it's not something myself and Stu can really speak to firsthand because it's just not something we, we, yeah, we, we, we know any, we can't understand it in any way. Yeah. But, um, but that's it. But, I'll I'll add in now. I I did seek out a few different perspectives on this from a trans people actually talking about their experiences of watching this film. And there, I I'll speak to this one. It it, it was published in um uh, medium dot com by Natasha Troop from June of last year. So re, re, this is the most recent one I could find, but also very well written. And it uh, it, it talks about what's it like watching the film from a trans perspective and this was about on the 25th anniversary of the film in 2017 so it's like um you know it's it's interesting because it starts off with quoting neil jordan in i think the special features on the dvd and you know even the interviewer kind of doesn't quite get it the interviewer asks is this um a a pre-op transvestite which obviously is that's that's what the interviewer said not i'm not saying that and then neil jordan kind of repeatedly uses the word transvestite and it's kind of like I don't think he it, it's kind of clear he didn't have any real knowledge on trans issues at the time when he wrote this character. It it does kind of come across that it was just like, you know, almost like a, a cross dressing thing to him, whereas Dale is a female a character in the film and 
everyone acknowledges her as that. Like it's it's one of the things you kind of go down here where it's like it's oddly a very progressive film in parts, and it, some of the things have acknowledged that because it's like everyone refers to Dill as female. No one implies that she's not. Yeah, because because she is, and even yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like that's a that's a tricky one. Whether whether the the interviewer kind of led Jordan into using that term. It, no, I, I think from the things I've read about Neil Jordan, it, it it does seem like that's what he said at the time. Now, perhaps his views have changed. I can't find a more recent interview on that. I, I'm not going to tar him with a brush or anything here, Stu. But that's that's kind of it. But you know, it it's just like um, it it has kind of because obviously the whole trans panic thing you know the, where Fergus strikes Dale is um, oh it's it's a it's an you know, awful scene to watch like, like it's yeah, very it hasn't it, well, it hasn't difficult well, but there's, to but see it there's, there's there's an unfortunate truth to it because one of the things this says is like in 48 states it's in America it's legal for him to beat Dill to death in that case and you can you yeah. get off for murder which is sorry if I'm bringing this down too much to you but I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from an article no, written I, by a like, trans no, person I, mean, and I, 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 I understand it this is, I'm kind of this is from someone who experiences this as lived experiences so I I defer to them because yeah it's I mean something I, I you know the, the obvious thing is that you should never hit anyone for any reason but I shouldn't say but uh the the scene like you could you can see there's a, there's... that he didn't know that she was born male and so the, like yeah. there, there's assigned, going to be a level of shock at, assigned male at birth is i believe the correct term um that people would use but you know th- there's going to be a level of shock there he he overstepped it by actually striking her but obviously like it, it's about the time and stuff as well obviously I, I would hope that that would never be in a movie nowadays yeah I, I don't think you'd really do it now but it does contrast to in, in this article about other kind of portrayals of trans characters if you were like if you look at the contrast to Ace Ventura Pet Detective and Naked Gun 33 and the third where it, it's really played off as more of a laugh where it's it's like it's designed oh, yeah, to yeah. elicit disgust from the main character where in this case it's no he 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 goes to prison for dill at the end uh fergus does you know and dill defends him and there's yeah it I does mean, kind like, of say that yeah, there's the, some people yeah. do have like i'm not going to take away there's other articles i've read where their trans people have said they did have negative experiences about this just because of it was very triggering to them uh, the scene where he hits dill and in particular the bit later on in the film where fergus like cuts Dill's hair and dresses her up in um Jody's cricket uniform. Where it's it's yeah, um it's a strange like, one. That's but... quite I understand how that can be very upsetting for a, a, a trans person watching that because it's like he's um forcing jo- um Dill to conform to the gender they were assigned at birth or sex they were assigned at birth. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, but you know, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, that scene was kind of like, oh yeah, it's definitely uncomfortable. Like you can see that in that scene, it's it's more about trying to protect her by tricking the IRA into thinking that it that yeah, it's not Dill who he's walking around with. I mean, maybe there was a better way of doing it, but I can see that you know, his his main goal and like you know, he clearly yeah. still loves her at the time. And I so think it's. It, it, I don't think it's about stripping like my, away from the articles I read that were reviewed at the time. Femininity and more recently now, as it just such. seems like the way they did it with Dill. Yeah, effectively, like you know, it's to, to quote an article. It's just a piece of meat where uh, Fergus is like helping Jody, you know, have, uh, use the bathroom outside because his hands are tied. People use that quote a lot when describing this, and it's. I think it's entirely done for shock value. Like in yeah. America, this was kept 
people have told their viewers, don't reveal the twist. Don't tell people when you come out of the cinema, the twist. And it's, it was really kind of almost like it's, in, it's it, it, the way they market it in America. It comes across purely as just something for shock value. But, you know, I, I don't think that's an entirely fair assessment of it. I think it is handled reasonably well. Like, you know, to to this evening's credit, like he does a fantastic job. The actor playing Dill, like he comes, like you, he comes across very well in this film. And, I suppose Dale is like a multi kind of faceted character. She's, you know, works as a hairdresser, kind of employed. She does sex work as well. Um, you know, where she's down the alleyway with your man who... Uh, Dave, yeah, yeah. Dave, yeah, where he, like, beats the shit out of him for, like, touching her and, like, says, will I break his neck? And she's like, no. Which is nice, I mean, of him being protective of her. But, um, you know, she has her own place. She's obviously, you know, misses Jody quite a lot, had a strong connection with them. And, you know, it was, like, doing her thing. And everyone who she works with and the hairdresser seems to kind of know I, I i suppose that maybe she's trans but they all respected like they, they call her her dale her preferred name they use female pronouns even Col, colin the bartender has no issue referring to her as that it's in that sense and what i've read in some of the articles as well it seems being quite progressive in that regard because no one really misgenders her even when fergus's character says you know she's a he and yeah things like and that, uh, that i think he still you could also her say and uses female yeah. pronouns. So it's like, it's, it's, it could have been a lot worse, I think, considering some of the other things that were written at the time. But I yeah. think it, from, from my I mean, perspective, you, you, I'd say it does, I think it does an okay job. Um, From the perspectives I've read from trans people, it's quite a mixed opinion, but some people do praise some of the bits in yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, are very it, uncomfortable it's, by it's it for them to judge, really, but I think, people and forgive me if I'm wrong, but in, in a certain yeah. way, giving it that amount of time where you meet Dill and people going into it assuming that Dill is a female and then finding it out could potentially be eye-opening for some people. Like, just, you know, you, you know yeah. you're know, you surprised to find out uh, the, the big secret as they marketed it. But at the same time, you know, it's like, oh, she's just a normal person trying to live her life and she has troubles and everything else. Like it it, it might have humanized trans people for for a certain number of people who wouldn't have thought of it that way. Maybe. Yeah, I, I think as well, it's, it's sort of a maybe kind of a pursual of sexuality in this as well like Fergus maybe realizing he's attracted to a trans woman that he maybe is questioning his own like you know kind of this straight tough image he has and even kind of you contrast it with like Jody at the start of the film like he's this big you know muscular British army soldier who was like trying to get they use um, Jude the, the female character played Miranda Richardson to kind of you know honey trap him to getting kidnapped by the promise of you know a, a bit of yeah. fun in a boat and you get this thing where he like but then it kind of makes sense like Dill is the person who he's in love with and Dill loves him and it's he he obviously knows you know that she's yeah, trans yeah, clearly. and it's like but then something the whole thing of like Jody kind of almost half flirting with um Ferguson like saying oh you're the pretty one and all that and then like saying oh it's just a bit of piece of me yeah it's, it's definitely one of those movies where like, if you watch it again Jody's you get a whole a different perspective more, yeah. yeah on everything that came before the big plot twists yeah and it, it's like I think it's quite interesting you can definitely read it and some of the other articles I've read talking about it from a queer perspective do talk about that a bit more and it's it is interesting I mean doesn't be even saying it's like very intersectional to use to use that term where it's dealing with like you know uh jay who plays dill is mixed race in the actor is um yeah. and obviously jody's is you know play Forrest whitaker is black and it, it talks even about you know sexuality and race together as, as kind of part of that and talking about i suppose minority communities 
within minority communities um, and things like yeah. that. Uh, the, the, there was one other thing that I wanted to point out, and I, I assume you noticed it as well, but late on in the film, Dill starts talking about a blood condition that she has. And yeah, yeah. I, got I was that like, as well. is this what I think it is? I think possibly. It, I don't. You see, this is kind of a bit where I'm. Mm, I kind of got the impression that maybe it was to do with like depression or something like that because she kind of talks about being up and down. Um, I don't know if it's it could be taken as something like hormones or things like that, but I do get the reading that Dill could have HIV or something like that. And like, yeah, that, like that's the thing. Like obviously it was rampant at the time, and so it just kind of it came to mind. Kind of this unexplained blood condition could well, it have actually been HIV or AIDS? Well, and it's like, we knew about that, it at the time. Yeah, but does that you then? Know, I don't know. Does it lessen the movie? Does it elevate it? It, does, mean, it, it doesn't say it. Yeah, yeah. What? What? Like I, I did get that feeling, but I think that I didn't read it as that. Ultimately, I kind of read it as more kind of you know antidepressants, um, other things. So I think that that's I, one of the things you'd have to ask that, uh, Neil certain, Jordan. I don't think he's look, probably mentioned it in yeah, interviews. Yeah. So look, we're, we might we might move on from this for now. And yeah. Get back to the IRA, and we'll just say, look, like we yeah, said, we, we we hope that we haven't offended anyone. If we have, let us know so that we can educate ourselves. Yeah. Look, to do I mean, better I tried to get as many sources from trans and queer people as I could to comment on this and that, that those are some of the articles I read so it's as much perspectives yeah, um, that I read in addition to my own. So as you kind of said, uh, Jude returns and is trying to get Fergus to kill a, a prominent judge. Coming out of a, a brothel basically. Yeah, and um, he doesn't because Dill ties him, ties up, him up after bed, after Fergus tells her that he was involved in Jody's death. Then the, the IRA come along and Jill actually, wait, no, first, sorry, first Peter kills the judge but gets killed himself. Then Jude heads over to, to Dill's apartment yeah. and Dill just straight up kills her. It's, it's a great shot scene moment, there. Like, Jude comes in there and then Dill just like opens up on her with the gun and just like shoots her multiple kids. I think like Dill's going to say, like, I blame you for Fergus's, or sorry, for Jody's death and like, shoots her in the goddamn neck to kill her it's pretty like it's very bloody and brutal like it's it, very unexpected yeah it was rough i mean technically it is a crack shot because like i think she shoots jude in like the hand first as jude's pointing the gun so like like great aim you know it, it, maybe dill's background is more interesting <laughs> it, maybe she was in quite the possibly well, yeah, know, uh, I, just, I don't know if you know that there was actually an alternate ending to i this. did hear I think yeah it was with channel four i i was able to find it online so the original ending that I watched anyway, is that Fergus gets Dill to leave. He basically takes the rap for it. And what is it? They say he is 2,335 days in jail. It comes out to a bit over six years. That's pretty lenient um, for See, Yeah, there's an interesting thing, though. Um, yeah. I was looking into the trivia, and at the time, Stephen Ray was actually married to a woman who was in the IRA yep. and was linked to a couple of attacks. And she actually got life in prison, but I think she only served seven okay. years. So, I mean... It seems a little more accurate than than I thought originally when it was like, oh, he got seven years well, for this. But... I'm, I'm kind of thinking, like, how how do you frame that? Because it's like, do they know she was... 
because like there is a dead IRA man after on the middle of a road in London after killing a judge. He was shot dead by a bodyguard. So like they know, like do they know Miranda um, Miranda Richardson character Jude was involved in that? So like she's in the ra, and then do they know Ferg? Like do they know Fergus is Fergus and not Jimmy, who is his like new person like persona over there? Um, like do they know he's involved in it? Because like is he saying that? Oh, I did that self-defense yeah it's hard to tell yeah he might have just gotten the set the, the six years for the the shooting of a woman rather yeah. than it, it being any way linked to the ira but the the other version is a a little nicer i guess where you know, I where fergus he he wipes down the gun and then he climbs out the roof there's like a, a ladder to the roof and so he climbs out and runs off and just at that moment dave walks in the door and so they arrest him oh the other guy um, yeah, the guy who's kind of creepy towards oh, Dylan, right. the whole movie. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, that's he, actually kind of funny. <laughs> he, he, he gets arrested. And so then it, it like jumps forward in time. I think it must be a, a, a winter because it's snowing heavily. Yeah. And Dill is kind of, she has a, a very nice, uh, I wouldn't even know the term for the haircut she had, but maybe a bob or something. It's very yeah. kind of flat and cover it like a long fringe over her face. But uh, she comes into the, the, the salon and it's like, oh, you have a customer. And he's like, just had his hair washed. So there's a guy there with the, the towel on. And so then, Oh, what yeah. what you what you have, and so then she recognizes Fergus's voice, and she pulls it off, and that kind of that's about where that's it ends. Really Maybe nice. there's a bit more, I, I, but it was just a, a clip ending. that I got. It was a nice ending, really. I think I think the producer asked for the nice ending, but I think Stephen Rio, uh, sorry, uh, Neil Jordan always wanted the the like the yeah, ending. Yeah, I mean, where fighting Fergus for the to jail, which I think is fine. That he wanted. I, I think that's better. Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of it. I mean, I, I will kind of say about the IRA attack in London. I mean, I don't know if the IRA ever did something so open about that. And also, Jesus, this judge can needs help to walk down a flight of stairs to the car with like two bodyguards. He can go up there and enjoy the yeah. services of the, you know. <laughs> okay, it's an interesting one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I definitely recommend anyone take a look at the, the IMDb trivia. I'll just read it. There's one more bit that was just a, a bit surprising. The original name the movie was going to have was The Soldier's Wife, but it's actually Niall yeah. Jordan's good friend, Stanley Kubrick who said that films with religious or military titles deterred audiences. That's true. And so he changed it to the crying game. To the crying game. It's like, okay, Neil Jordan and Stanley Kubrick are besties, apparently. I think it's funny because I, I was saying earlier about how it's it's got the similar kind of structure to Full Metal Jacket, which came out what, five years before this. Like with the, the first half of the film is very different to the second half. It's almost like two movies, but there's a common thread there. So maybe that was a bit of inspiration because I know, I know Neil Jordan won like an Oscar for best uh, screenplay because he, he wrote it and directed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another tiny, funny thing I saw in just in terms of uh, reviewers trying to hide the this plot twist. There was one writer, I think it might have been Time or something like that. What what he did was he said in the in his article, you know, you'd be an animal to to spoil the twist, yeah. uh, but you'd have to do it eventually. So what he did was the first letter of every paragraph oh. uh, read oh. out. She is he, I think it said, which kind of a terrible way of putting yeah. it. But it's like it's just it, yeah, yeah uh, it's uh, Time magazine critic. She is a he, it said, which once again, terrible way of putting it. But it's like, clever that he kind of he didn't spoil it, but he put it in there for any super sleuths to kind of get yeah that's good um I'll, I'll, I'll just throw in a few small bits if i can Steve. if that's all right just bits that i like there's a great quote in this where 
for um dill comes to see fergus slash jimmy in when he's working on the building site and like the, is the kind of posh english guy he was like the boss like played by tony Slattery very very well he's like oh is that your is that your tart there and he's you know when dill comes up to see him and he just goes to him it's like have you ever picked up your teeth with broken fingers which is a fantastic threat oh yeah like that 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 quote is just deadly i mean i can't believe that another movie hasn't stolen that for like jason statham or something because it is like terrifying to if, if someone said that to you you'd just be like sir sorry uh i'll, I'll be on my way like what do I you think even it, respond with like i think it's uh it's specifically because he says it like in his low kind of heavy west belfast accent he's like, like an upper class english fella like it's just so like i i, I gotta think i can do it right you ever picked up your teeth with broken fingers eh it's just you know re- it's just the accent and the demeanor as well like how close he gets to him it's just such a great line and just you can just see him instantly what do you mean by this? He's obviously like, oh, I'm after saying the wrong thing to the wrong person. <laughs> I love, that's a great scene as well. And, and Dill looks fantastic in that scene. I've all the men like, we're whistling yeah, yeah. and everything. Because they all have no idea either. Um, well, I mean, I, I, you know, given that, but I mean, I, I think, look, she looks great in the film. I, I, I'll go as far as saying that. Oh yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. You know, um, no problem saying that. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't actually see if, um, it seems he did actually sing the crying game himself, the actor as Dill in in, in that film. Um, if that is the case, geez, he's got a great singing voice. But um, I couldn't see. Yeah, if it was I, playback I, I looked not. for that as well, but um, I couldn't so even I, see in the. I, I couldn't find in the full cast whether there was anywhere, anyone but, credited yeah. as the the vocals. Yeah, I, I unfortunately I can't. I I couldn't see that. I I look if if it is the case good you know it, it was a, a very good singing performance um but yeah i suppose that's kind of the gist of it i mean in terms of there aren't really bad northern ireland accents to rediscuss here i know miranda richardson isn't from the north i thought she did a very good job i think she did a very good job um in in terms of doing a northern irish accent i didn't really drop that i noticed um even at the end where she's like shot and being quite distressed it, it, i didn't notice any major drops there so yeah thumbs up for me anyway uh, it, like it is even Reed's kind of more natural accent he was using so you know i i'm not i'm not aware he, he changed anything too much um i as was not not normally what we do in this but talking about Forrest Whitaker's english accent um it, it's Oof. it's a bit patchy in places like i'm not sure exactly what kind of accent he's going for it sort of sounds like like the only thing i could compare it to is, is almost a, a terrible well, oliver it, twist yeah I, yeah it's i see i don't know what accent he's going for now i mean i'm not an expert on english accents i mean i have a reasonable idea uh, but like it, it's it's kind of an odd mix between like kind of a South London sort of more inner city accent with some kind of like kind of received pronunciation, like kind of posher way of speaking at times. It, it's an odd mix, and I don't know if it's not Jesus. I'm not an expert on this at all now. But like he says, like his father's from the Caribbean, from the West Indies, and I think his mother is English. I, I think it implies he's mixed race. I, I'm not too certain, but I think maybe he'd have more of a slightly different accent. You know the there's kind of an no i'm not going to imitate it but you know kind of first generation people from immigrant backgrounds do tend to have slightly more differing accents in the uk like you hear it with um um some kind of people like that and so i I don't know if that would be more accurate or not but it's just a weird act it's it's quite obvious he's putting it on in particular where he gets a bit stressed out particularly when like you know he he go he lunges at jude's character when they take the, the bag off his head his accent basically completely drops you know so it's look i think he yeah. like i said I, i'll praise his performance 
apart from that, like even the bits where you can just see like his mouth, he's very expressive with that. I think Forrest Whitaker did a very, very good job in this film. I just think the maybe he didn't have enough time for the accent work, but I think he was very well cast. I just think it's um the accent let him down. But for what he did, I think it's fine. Every like I think everyone else, I don't know everyone else. I mean, I I think the other kind of main characters with Northern Irish accents or from the north, so I can't really I can't, I can't really say they, they didn't do a good job so that's fine to me yeah I think we, uh, we've uh, we've spoiled it pretty much the entire review but it's definitely a crock of gold for me really great movie shocking level of respect for the trans community I know it mightn't have been perfect but for 1992 I think it was spot on yep. the scenes in the north of Ireland were fantastic and really put forward yeah. an interesting view of kidnapping a british soldier yeah i mean crock of golds do easily they, i really really like this film uh one sitting no breaks really enjoyed it um yeah like it's brave for the time not just with the having effectively a, a, a trans character leading the second half of the film but it's 1992 and dealing with like the ira in, in any sympathetic context at that time was it was a brave thing to do and i think it's very well written i think stephen ray gives the possibly the performance of his career ray stevenson you know for someone that wasn't an actor he was a model to, to to go in and do this i think is incredible i i, I cannot give him enough praise for p- playing dill because it's great i mean i suppose in in a sense we, we've seen his entire uh, filmography because he only did stargate after this <laughs> and i said i think i know i've seen stargate about yeah. 20 20 plus times so i'd say i think for for his entire filmography i think he's a very good actor <laughs> i hope he returns to it you know Jim Broadbent yeah. in his brief scenes, really, really good. Yeah, it's just about time to wrap up now, Rob. We have uh, about ten minutes before the Ireland Italy rugby match. Yeah, this is probably the earliest we've we've ever recorded so. the podcast, <laughs> I think, and because we feel we've more energy in the morning, and also we're, we're kind of tailoring this around rugby matches now. So <laughs> the Six Nations, yeah. So next week we'll have a kind of two-parter episode. Mm-hmm. So next Monday we'll have a report done by myself on. Yeah history of saint patrick and then i think the week after we will watch is it i am patrick with uh john reese davies playing saint patrick so we'll kind of have a two-parter one where we get the actual history and one where we have a movie and we can then kind of compare and contrast whether the movie got it spot on or mixed up in places we also have because it's March is St. Patrick's Day. We're going to do a month about it, but we have a little uh, a little special something for Uniquely Irish for those two episodes, don't we, Sue? Oh, we do. Yeah, we did. I love you. You forgot there for a second what it was. Didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> just, just briefly. Yeah. So we're, we don't want to give away too much, but we're going to do something a little bit different and try something a bit different. I think it's fair to say, Stu. And uh, you might be getting a live reaction to something quite quite interesting. Let's just say it. We'll we'll, we'll hold off. But uh, look, thanks very much for listening, guys. We we do really appreciate it. Um, we know this episode might have been a little different from some of the other ones we've done because of the topics being discussed. But look, we I, I sorry if we're being too cautious and going on about it too much. But look, it's we did the it's very an best important topic. It is. Look, to it, talk is. About it is. And and to I mean, try to get I mean, right. Look, it, it's. This is the type of thing where, look, we are not experts on, but we we want to do the best we can and do it justice. It, it was a great film. We really enjoyed it. We hope that what 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 the representation we gave to articles written by trans and queer people wore a, a good perspective on that in addition to our own. So if you felt we did say something wrong, you can contact us at uh, talkingblarneypod at gmail.com and on Twitter um, at blarneypod. We're very happy to take feedback on this. All right. Thanks very much for listening, guys. We have a rugby match to watch. We'll talk to you next time. Slow and we'll see you next week.